to the Marathon Medic podcast. I'm your host, Amy Bolsch, a doctor and running coach with an interest in sports and exercise medicine. These podcast episodes are all about physical activity, exercise and health. And today I'm joined by Professor Michael Cole to discuss air pollution and exercise. Michael is a sports physician and professor of kinesiology and sport and exercise medicine at the University of British Columbia. His research focuses primarily on environmental physiology, so on this episode we're discussing the impact of air pollution on human health and human performance. We'll cover what air pollution is, the impact of exercising in highly polluted environments, and how we can reduce our air pollution exposure. So hello Mike and welcome. You're my first Canadian guest, so I really appreciate you giving uh, up your time to speak with me this evening, or this morning for you. Oh, it's a pleasure and uh, thanks for inviting me. So I was uh, lucky enough to hear you speak at one of the ISEH conferences last year, but just for the purpose of any listeners who might not be familiar with your work, would you mind just introducing yourself and a little bit about your background, both, I guess, career-wise and sporting, if you you wish? Sure. Uh, So uh, my name is Mike Cole. I'm a professor at the University of British Columbia in both the School of Kinesiology, which is our equivalent to sports science or exercise science in the UK, and then um, also in the Division of Sport and Exercise Medicine uh, at the university. And so my job's a mix of um, research, mostly environmental physiology and exercise physiology, and then clinical practice in sport and exercise medicine. In terms of sporting background, uh, I've done most of the endurance sports. And so um, uh, I guess that would be my, my background, mainly uh, rowing, cross-country skiing and triathlon. Perfect. And we're going to speak mainly about the um, impact of air pollution on exercise in terms of health and performance today. I think we all assume we know exactly what air pollution is. But just to start off, would you mind just explaining exactly what we mean when we're talking about air pollution? Uh, certainly. So air pollution is a is comprised of a mix of particles, uh, which can be liquids or, or solids, and gases. And so some of the particles that we can have in the air would be things like heavy metals or soot, black carbon, uh, or pollen or dust. And then some of the gases that we think about would be uh, nitrogen dioxide or sulfur dioxide or ozone or carbon monoxide. Um, And so air pollution varies significantly uh, by location and by season and by a time of day and it's affected a lot by things like weather or events such as volcanoes or wildfires. And presumably all these different types of air pollution will affect us quite differently. So in Vancouver for example I know you have lots of wildfires and problems with with those issues whereas here obviously traffic is probably a, a big concern for us. Do they do those types of pollution have very different effects on the human body? Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that's a lot of the the challenge to both research it, uh, air pollution and exercise, and to interpret it. In that we can't make a blanket statement: air pollution does this. We have to break it down into uh, subcomponents. And so, one of the common ones that they would use uh, would be traffic-related air pollution, and so that would be a mix of uh, oxides of nitrogen and some particles and uh, that are created by internal combustion. So that would be one subgroup of, uh, of air pollution that is, is commonly researched. Uh, when we do our research, 
We've done traditionally uh, either laboratory exposures or uh, environmental exposures where they're out in the ambient environment. But for the lab work, we have to uh, divide it up a little bit. And so we have, in my lab, we've modified our altitude chamber to be an ozone, uh, ground-level ozone chamber as well. But uh, my colleague, uh, Dr. Christopher Carlston, has a, uh, a chamber that he uses diesel exhaust with. And again, that's a mix of particles primarily, but also some gases there that's somewhat related to traffic-related air pollution. And so there's all these different components and they have different effects and they probably synergize with each other in different ways. And so when we're talking about air pollution and exercise, we need to be really aware of the specific recipe of air pollution for that situation. So, for example, we just had the Summer Olympics in Japan last year, and uh, Japan has really high levels of ground-level ozone, especially during the time of the Olympics, which is late summer, and because ozone is created by ultraviolet radiation, typically created by ultraviolet radiation from the sun, uh, interacting with uh, gases that are emitted in traffic. And so when we were working with athletes going into the Olympics, we were thinking more about ozone, whereas the prior year with track and field, the world championships were in, in Doha and Qatar, and that's primarily a, a particulate matter air pollution uh, with not a lot of ozone, especially because the long events, the marathon, the race walk, they were held overnight and ozone levels are quite low then. So it's complicated, I guess. And I imagine your ethics approval processes must be quite difficult if you're using those kind of pollutants in the lab base or, or not. Yeah, you know, it was uh, a bit of UK content. We uh, The very first time we got approval, we said that the levels that we were going to expose people to were equivalent to the London Underground during rush hour on a bad day. And that seemed to satisfy the ethics committee. Uh, and so since then, in terms of our diesel exhaust particulate exposure, uh, we've been able to sort of maintain or continue to allude to our prior uh, research uh, based on that. In terms of ozone, it's been uh, not too challenging because currently the amounts that we use are uh, about 170 parts per billion of ozone, and that's not too different from what we had on the very worst day uh, in one of our, our communities near Vancouver last summer. We had this particularly uh, bad record-setting heat wave last summer, and uh, so that led to really high ozone levels. So having that reference, I guess when, for the ethics review, it's always nice to have a reference so that the, the reviewer, who will typically be a non-expert in air pollution, has something to uh, relate it to. Yeah, that fills me with a slight dread thinking about <laughs> pollution on the London Underground, given how long I've spent on it. Um, but, that, but that's, that's yes. useful to know. And when you're doing all this research, what are the concerns in terms of the impact on human health and human performance as well? Yeah, and I, I like the way you break it down into health and performance, because I think we need to treat them differently. And there are effects for both. And so uh, air pollution is very bad for our health. And so even simple things like living in a city like London, um, your risk of respiratory disease and even lung cancer is higher as a result of that. It's, it's important to do whatever we can to minimize our exposure to air pollution uh, from a health point of view. When we add exercise on top of that, that's where things uh, get a bit more complicated and that's where uh, that's the area that we're trying to research. And the way that 
the different research groups look at the question of air pollution and exercise, it varies. So one very powerful uh, technique that's used is basically just epidemiology, following tens of thousands of adults over a long period of time and looking at uh, health outcomes like hospital visits or mortality or, or, or something like that. And then what they do is they look at the uh, something like the postal code where the participants live and then some assessment of their physical activity. So that's one way to look at it. And when you look at the the majority of those studies, they show that although air pollution is, is bad for our health in a variety of ways, the people that are more physically active benefit from that physical activity despite the air pollution. And, uh, and the evidence is clear that if you do live in a polluted environment in the long term, it's important to stay physically active from a health point of view. You get more health benefits from staying physically active than from, from not being physically active. Still on the health question, most of our research is uh, acute exposures to pollutants during exercise. And we look at health outcomes like uh, lung function or uh, heart rate variability, cardiovascular function uh, in the short term, up to several hours afterwards, uh, after exercise. And there, uh, the effects are a little bit uh, a bit more nuanced in that when we're looking at primarily air pollution made up of particles, the acute effects on health outcomes are unclear or equivocal. And uh, that's backed up both by our research, but also by uh, other groups across the world. And a recent systematic review uh, really shows that acute effects of primarily particulate matter air pollution during moderate exercise uh, aren't very aren't very strong. So, uh, or there's really weak evidence of uh, significant acute effects. That's different for uh, ozone, which is that gas that we talked about earlier. That's a, a secondary air pollutant that's created as a result of the ultraviolet light from the sun interacting with some of the gases. And the evidence from a health point of view around ozone uh, is more clear that there is a, a negative effect uh, over the short term in terms of respiratory discomfort, things like shortness of breath or dyspnea, as well as uh, measures of lung function. And then over the more uh, chronic time frame, uh, there does seem to be uh, an increase in prevalence of things like asthma in children who are exercising. And so we we almost like to separate ozone out a little bit because it's it, it behaves quite differently from a health point of view uh, from the other pollutants. And that's why currently we study it separately as well. And so so the, in general, there's a number of studies that seem to indicate that ozone has both short-term and, and long-term negative health effects. From a performance point of view, the findings are line up almost with the health point of view. In our lab, we looked at uh, a lot of performance outcomes uh, when exposed to diesel exhaust and talking about healthy individuals and individuals with asthma or exercise-induced bronchoconstriction. And we didn't really see much evidence of a performance decrement with primarily particle-based air pollution. 
we work closely a lot with um, the lab of uh, Homlo Bertuzzi at University of Sao Paulo, and they have done some interesting work looking at time trial performance uh, over a longer time frame uh, in Sao Paulo traffic-related air pollution. And again, they they didn't see a big performance effect. So from a particle point of view, we're not seeing significant performance effects acutely, and that's something that we are are using to. Uh, somewhat reassure athletes and exercise exercisers when they're exercising in a highly particle-based air pollution. From a performance point of view in terms of ozone, just like with the dyspnea and the shortness of breath and the lung function, it does seem to have a bit of a performance effect as well. The one thing that's different about ozone is that uh, it may have an ability to or we may have ability to adapt to it. So there's a couple of different lines of research that show that there's a possible adaptation over a period of three to five days to ozone. So the negative effects become less and less. So effectively, if you're, say, traveling abroad um, for a marathon to a more highly polluted area, if it's particle-based, it's unlikely that your performance is going to be affected. But if it's there's a high ozone level there, your performance might slightly be impacted unless you've acclimatized over a few days. Yeah, that's a good, a good summary of it. it it's, I, I think people can be reassured if it's mostly particulate-based that they're not going to have significant performance effects. Uh, whereas with the ozone, there is a really nice study that shows people from a low ozone environment going to a high ozone environment and competing uh, end up doing less. And okay. uh, it's early days to to prescribe adaptation to ozone and to come up with a recipe for that. I think we need to do a lot more research on that. And that's something that we're working on now. But yeah, stay tuned. Uh, we may have a bit of a better idea in a couple of years around that. That's, that's really interesting. Um, and it feels, it feels strange even just saying prescribe ozone <laughs> um, because obviously it, yeah. it is still a pollution, but I, but I appreciate what you mean. And big cities, they can sometimes put limitations on exercise during periods of particularly high pollution. So I know that London has definitely made announcements telling people not to exercise on really highly polluted days. So why might exercise exacerbate the effects of air pollution on health in, in that respect? Um, and does the research support that that actually is the case? Is it worse for you to go out on a run on a highly polluted day than it is to pop to the shop to get your your, your meal? Yeah, so there's there's a few things to that. So just from a, a rationale point of view, there is a, a good rationale why, why exercise on a high pollution day may increase your risk for negative effects. And that, it's a few things. One is when we exercise, by definition, our metabolism is higher. So our processes are, are going at a faster rate. And to support that higher metabolism, we're going to be breathing more, so our ventilation is higher. So our actual inhaled dose, which is kind of like the concentration that you're of the, that specific air polluted in the air, multiplied by your minute ventilation or the amount that you're ventilating, is going to be higher during exercise than during rest. And on top of that, during more intense exercise, we typically breathe more through our mouth and less through our nose. And so we have less of that nasal filtration and humidification um, during more intense exercise. So for a variety of reasons, it does make sense that exercise will exacerbate the, the negative effects of air pollution. So there's that rationale there. And when uh, I got into this area of research, I was really expecting to find 
much more profound effects, especially we did one uh, study where we looked at different intensity. So rest versus moderate versus high intensity exercise, breathing really significant levels of diesel exhaust. And we didn't, we were expecting to see the intense exercise would lead to more health effects. And uh, we didn't see that. They performed perhaps slightly worse at moderate, at low to moderate intensity than they did at higher intensity, which was uh, surprising. So from a mechanism point of view, it makes sense. Uh, but from a research point of view, we don't have a, a clear uh, evidence from, at least from diesel exhaust studies, that it makes it worse. We do know that, that uh, there are health effects from the ozone. I think the important thing to really highlight is that on a bad high pollution day uh, for example in London as you in the example that you gave we are exposed to high pollution for 24 hours of that day and there's no doubt that high pollution uh, air pollution has significant health effects we need to think about all 24 hours of that day not just uh, 30 minutes to 60 minutes of exercise uh, as part of that uh, we need to reduce our exposure all day long. One of the things that needs more research that we don't have a good answer to is is the prolonged exercise. So, Amy, you're a ultra runner, so you're going to be doing these long runs uh, on the weekend, multiple hour runs, and cyclists are often doing five, six hour rides. Uh, we have no data looking at the, the health effects of those prolonged uh, efforts, uh, but be, because the dose is increased for a prolonged period of time. That's something that uh, at present we would advise against. Uh, and so on a really high pollution day, the recommendation would be as much as possible to, to avoid the air pollution, choose a lower pollution site or environment to do it in, and avoid the really prolonged workouts as well. And in terms of minimizing exposure, you kind of touched on a few there. And I think the obvious one is obviously to, to seek greener areas, um, go to the park, for example. But what other things can we be doing to try and reduce our exposure? Is there an optimum time of the day or does that differ between different locations? Does the weather impact our risk if it's raining or, or sunny? Um, and also, is there a type of exercise we should be doing? So I know you've said, you know, don't don't ideally go out for four hour runs, but is there a certain type of exercise we should prioritize during those periods? Yeah. So uh, if I forget any parts of that question, that's a big question. Uh, just uh, <laughs> remind me. But uh, I think it's it's probably one of the most important or the most important advice is to both in terms of location and time of day, modify your, your plans to reduce your air pollution exposure. So you mentioned doing something in a park uh, versus along a busy street. Uh, and that makes good sense. And even being in the center of a park away from the peripheral roads, uh, there'll be less air pollution than at the periphery. And so small changes like that uh, can make a huge difference. And there's lots of good data on government websites about air pollution and air pollution forecasts that will give you uh, an idea about regional differences as well. So here in Vancouver, we have on the west, we have the ocean. In the north, we have the mountains. And uh, to the east, we have a, a long river valley. And so the, the weather and the wind coming off the ocean affects uh, air pollution, especially during wildfire season. And so there'll be big differences in air pollution levels across 
that region. And so uh, what I recommend is for people to go on the government website, look at the different pollution levels. And if they are going to go for a run, maybe aim to run uh, in the area that's uh, lower pollution. There's also good apps uh, to use. The one that I recommend is called Plume, like P-L-U-M-E. And it's got a nice forecast uh, algorithm that takes into account the, the future weather as well as, as past past effects on air pollution. And so if I'm planning today a run tomorrow, I, I can look and see what time of day and change the location and look at different locations to see where the air quality is the best. Uh, and on time of day, you're asking about that. There's certainly big variations in, in terms of time of day. Uh, ozone is typically low first thing in the morning and at the end of the day and highest around midday to 3 p.m. when the sun is most active and at the hottest time of day. Uh, and so if you are in a high ozone environment, uh, I mentioned the Olympics before, they actually moved the time of the, the marathon and the race walk to be very early in the day, mainly to avoid the heat. But when you avoid the heat, you typically avoid the ozone as well. And so that was beneficial in that uh, we, in the end, we weren't that concerned about ozone levels during uh, both the marathon and the race walk because for our events, they were all early in the morning. Uh, for more uh, particle-based air pollution, early in the morning is also good as well. Uh, we don't get that dip in the late afternoon, early evening in the particle-based air pollution consistently like we do in ozone, and it, it may be up higher for the rest of the day. And so again, just look at your local forecast in terms of uh, air quality to see uh, what time of day is best. But if you don't have access to that early in the morning, 6 a.m. is generally a good time. Amy, you asked about rain. Rain, rain is a good, effective way of washing uh, the particles out of the air. The other thing about rain is you have more cloud cover and typically less ultraviolet radiation. So you have less generation of ozone and a bit of scrubbing of the particles uh, from the sky. So uh, those are some of the positives uh, in terms of the rain. Perfect. Well, you, you remembered every single part of my question. So thank you. Um, I also just wanted to ask you, you mentioned when we're exercising, we're obviously breathing through our mouth and reducing, therefore, the filtration of polluted uh, particles through our nose. Nasal breathing's definitely become a bit more popular in certain sports, definitely in running. Some people are trying to use uh, nasal breathing as a, a tactic, I guess, to improve performance. But in terms of pollution, is that a helpful tool to prioritize nasal breathing? Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's something that makes sense uh, in that there is uh, some filtration there. From a symptoms point of view, there's also a bit of humidification. And so people that are prone to things like exercise-induced bronchoconstriction, the humidification through the nose may be somewhat helpful. It's, it's something that we haven't actually proven with a, in terms of looking at it with the study. It'd be probably a little challenging to do, but not impossible. The, uh, the only caveat is that during the very highest intensity exercise or even above sort of moderate intensity, it, it is a challenge for most people to breathe entirely through their nose. And so that will only be effective on on quite low intensity exercise. So it makes sense. We haven't, uh, haven't studied it yet. And you get a wishy-washy answer. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. My final question, just on reducing our exposure, if we are exercising outdoors in polluted areas, 
obviously we've all become quite accustomed to wearing masks in the last couple of years. And sometimes I see cyclists in particular wearing masks in cities. Is there much evidence for that? And I suppose obviously it has to be the correct type of mask. But is that something you'd recommend for athletes that are in very highly polluted areas? Yeah, you said something really important there. It has to be the right type of mask. And so now that we're a lot more familiar with masks, a simple surgical mask uh, won't be effective in that it doesn't have enough uh, filtration. And so the uh, the N95s that we're used to, at least in healthcare, we're using N95s, uh, a properly fitted N95 will, by definition, reduce 95% of the particles. So that uh, can be effective in a high particle type air pollution. Some of those uh, masks that look like that also are impregnated with charcoal, which adsorbs some of the ozone. So there, uh, there, there may be a role. The issue with uh, a well-fitting N95 is that uh, it's not compatible, compatible with high-intensity exercise. If you're getting enough airflow around the mask, for you to be able to uh, breathe sufficiently during high intensity exercise, you're probably not getting the filtration. And so uh, that's one of the concerns. The, the studies that I've actually looked at it have only been conducted with walking. There's not that many studies. And they, they did show maybe a possible benefit. I think it was primarily on, on blood pressure, but they had, for that study, they had people wearing the mask for 48 hours. So 24 hours the day before, and then 24 hours on the day of the exercise bout. So that's not the most, uh, uh, it's not so easy to translate that research to the example of somebody riding their bike to work in downtown London. So we definitely need more work in terms of the research there. How, how we use it with our athletes would be if they are in a high particle environment, use masks and good quality indoor air to reduce their exposure to particles outside of their exercise bout. So if they're, they have an event or a competition uh, on their way to the competition, it does make sense uh, if they're comfortable wearing a, a well-fitting N95 to reduce that air pollution exposure. Because really the important message is that air pollution is bad for us 24 hours a day. And so if we can at least reduce it the other 23 hours and then during the competition where it's not feasible to wear a mask, we're still reducing the, the negative effects. So to and from competition is right now where the only place that we're uh, recommending masks. And just kind of carrying on with that theme of being exposed to pollution at 24 hours a day, obviously, when the advice comes from London or other cities to stop exercising, people might choose to exercise inside and use a gym, for example. But obviously, we're exposed to different types of pollutants when we're inside as well. So what's your tips in terms of just being mindful of reducing our exposure to pollutants inside rather than just kind of thinking about traffic and everything that's going on outside? Yeah, I think that what surprised me most was that uh, uh, how often the pollution levels can be quite high indoors. So I, I think the number one piece of advice is don't assume that the air quality is better indoors uh, unless you're in a situation where you've got perhaps it's a gym with a, you know, a very effective air filtration system and high quality filtration, then uh, that might be worthwhile. It, so for in our house, we actually have a big air purifier. It's the, it's the size of a, it's massive. It's bigger than a bar fridge. Um, just because we have such poor air quality during 
the wildfire season in the summer. So don't assume that uh, it's going to be better inside because often it isn't, uh, especially because we have indoor sources of air pollution as well. Things like candles and incense and gas stoves and gas ovens and then off-gassing from solvents and cleaners and fabrics. So I think before uh, making a decision about doing it indoors is doing what you can to assess the air quality indoors. And that's obviously easier said than done. But if it's a, a reasonably well-sealed environment where you, you're quite confident that they have a good filtration system, that would be reasonable. But if it's a an old building with... Uh, leaky windows, then uh, you're going to have very similar levels of air quality indoors and out. That's, that's really useful to know. And I guess, um, do house plants play a role as well? Can that kind of act as a natural filtration system? You know what? Uh, I don't know. I don't. Uh, it's an interesting question. So certainly they're going to uh, take carbon dioxide out of the air, but uh, other gases and particles, uh, I don't know the answer to that. No, I just I just thought Definitely. of it because I was looking around my room thinking about what pollutants were in here and I saw I had a plant and I wondered if that was counteracting some of it. We work uh, closely with uh, an atmospheric chemist. Her name is Dr. Nadine Bordeaux-Dedekind. And she, 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 because she's a chemist and not a clinician, she looks at everything totally differently. And she's always, every every piece of equipment in the lab, she's always asking what it's made of. And, you know, what, uh, what plastic is that tubing? Because... Things like ozone are highly reactive and will react with the tubing that we're using to pump air into our chamber and stuff. And so there's all these effects that are interactions with especially the gas component of air pollution that are complicated and certainly poorly understood by me. And then you add some plants into that. You know, I'm not sure. One of the things that we're learning more and more about lately is this thing called the, um, it's called the pig pen effect, but it's, you're sort of, you create your own micro atmosphere around you in terms of air quality uh, based on the you know cosmetics that you're using the fabrics in your clothing how much you're moving and that that sort of the immediate personal space and that's something we haven't even really begun to look at how that's interacting with the air pollution that you're being exposed to yeah things things like perfume and i always think actually every day when i spray that i I, I inhale some of it and i think gosh this probably isn't very good for me, is it? But we keep doing it and all these things yeah. that we use in life are just so chemical heavy. Yeah. And uh, like, I think I would think that perfume is full of volatile organic compounds, you know, so that it, so that it does uh, have a scent. And so all these cleaners that we're using in chemicals, I think we need to be a bit more aware of, definitely. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. That was really interesting. Just to end, I think we've actually probably touched on it a little bit, but um, what's your opinion in terms of the biggest gaps in research in this field that you think we need to understand a bit more? Plants and perfume, I guess, added to the list. <laughs> yeah, I think the the mask question, we need to go into that a little bit more. And then prolonged exercise, I think, is something that we need to have a better understanding of. You know, we did... Th- and we did expect high intensity exercise was going to be worse than moderate intensity, and we haven't found that. And so that's one of our recommendations: is short, intense workouts when it's really bad to avoid that prolonged exercise. But I think we need to actually look at that prolonged exercise. And then I guess the last thing to, or the last two would be the adaptation to ozone. You know, is this a a real phenomenon, and is it a safe thing to actually? Uh, practice and what's the ultimate recipe 
And then the other thing is, how do our respiratory medications interact with air pollution? Meaning that for someone with asthma, we give them medications to open up their airways and uh, to, and, and then we also give them anti-inflammatories for their airways. Do these things, how do they interact with the pollutants? And do, by opening up the airways, do we increase the, the dose and the effects of pollutants or the opposite? And so I think that's something that we need to study because for people with asthma and exercise-induced bronchoconstriction, we need to be able, especially during ozone, we need to be able to give them good uh, evidence-based advice on how to manage that. Yeah, it's really interesting because our care pathways are so generic and we would never kind of split our treatment for asthma depending on where someone lives, but maybe maybe that's the future. Yeah, so we did look at it with the diesel exhaust and it didn't. the medications didn't make it worse, which is good. And we're looking at it right now with the salbutamol in people with exercise-induced bronchoconstriction exposed to ozone. But uh, yeah, we need to we need to learn more about that. Great. And if people want to hear more from you or learn more about this topic, are you able to direct them to any resources or social media? You know, I should be better prepared for that question. Um, so <laughs> the app I already mentioned, Plume, I think is really good. P-L-U-M-E. I like that one. I think figuring out your local government web uh, website or app that provides local conditions would be helpful. I think those are... <laughs> Those would be the number one uh, things that I, I'd really recommend is figure out what your local resources are. Great. Well, I'll definitely be doing that. I, I currently um, have the Tenzing Clean Air score attached to my Strava, but it only tells me what the pollution is after I've ran, which isn't that helpful. So I have to get on using those, those apps and being a bit more proactive about it. Yeah, 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 exactly. You ask about social, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not very good at it and not very active on it. So that's probably, I won't be giving a lot of good advice at the time. So I, the Tenzing thing sounds good. Plume Labs sounds good. Yeah. Great. Any, any final comments? No, th thanks for uh, uh, considering this topic. I think it's becoming more and more important. Uh, I know uh, here in the West Coast of Canada, we're getting more and more bad summers in terms of wildfire air pollution. And with climate change and stuff like that, I think it's just going to be more and more of an issue with the ozone as well, with the extreme heat events. Definitely. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Amy. Many thanks to Professor Michael Cole for joining me on this episode to discuss air pollution and exercise. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it and give it a rating and get in touch if there's topics or guests you'd like to see on a future episode. If you'd like to hear more from me, then you can head to marathonmedic.com where you'll find more podcast episodes, blog posts and tips to become more active. You can also find me on Instagram by searching Marathon Medic. Thanks so much for listening.